You know, a while back, Julie and I got a phone call from a friend of ours who lives out of town, actually out of state, and it was out of deep left field that the phone rang on this particular day. Now, this is a guy that we're friends with. We met him when he came through Austin a few years ago and have actually spent some time with him and his family. We've visited with him and his wife and his kids and loved being around. As a matter of fact, the last time we were together, we left and I, and Julie and I kind of went, man, they were just great people. They're awesome. Their kids are easy to be around. They're fun. I just like them. And I don't know if they feel the same way about us, but I, I really like them. So we kind of left it there. And so when the phone rang, he said, Mac, we are getting ready to celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary. And we would love to invite you and Julie to join us and four other couples as we have rented a house in the Caribbean. And if you and Julie can just take care of the plane fare, we will cover everything else. And we just want y'all to be a part of this celebration. And I said, man, thank you so much. I said, let me pray about this. Yes. <laughs> and, I, and I hung up the phone and I said, Julie, apparently they do like us. I mean, we've been, they've invited us on this incredible trip. And so in the weeks leading up to the trip, Julie and I were kind of like, why did they ask us? I mean, they were, the other couples were people they had known their whole lives, people that they had grown up with, and people that were in their actual wedding. We'd only known them a few years. So we're like, why did they ask us? And is this place really as cool as it looks online? And is the water really that blue? And why did they ask us? And and, and so on and on and on. But when we got there, believe me when I tell you, I have never in my life seen anything like this. First of all, the scenery was unbelievable. It was as if God filled the ocean with bathwater. And then the fish that were in that bathwater in the ocean looked like they had little LED lights illuminating their colors. They were unbelievable when we'd go snorkeling. And the accommodations and the place where we stayed was unbelievable. You'd wake up every morning and the chef would say, good morning, man. Would you like an omelet or some French toast? I'm like, man, I don't know. That's a big decision. I'm going to pray about it and I'll come back and tell you in a minute. It's a lot of pressure right now. And, and, and the, it was just, uh, just one thing after another. Finally, you and I quit asking why. We just told him we loved y'all so much. I mean, it was just incredible. But as, as phenomenal as the scenery was, as amazing as the accommodations were, the thing that made this trip were the people that were invited to be on this trip with them. I mean, by the first night, Julie and I had eight new friends that we had never seen before all week long. The conversation just flowed. We stayed up late. We laughed. We cried. We told story after story, some of which I think were even true. But it was the people on that trip that made it so incredible for Julie and me. We were blown away by those people that were invited to be a part of that. Couldn't believe that we got asked to be a part of that with them. And I think that trip, that, that, that trip there in those little latitudes right above the equator in that tropical paradise really serves as a perfect picture of the power of Christmas, of the real blessing, the real message of what Christmas is all about. Because, yeah, the, the circumstances were incredible. The, the, the accommodation's great. And the experience was off the chart. 
But what really made the trip were the relationships, were those people on that trip. And Christmas is exactly the same way. The circumstances are just staggering. Unbelievable. A child born to a human woman, impregnated and brought about by the Spirit of God, born in a little backwater hamlet called Bethlehem. Angels announcing the birth to shepherds out in the hills outside of Bethlehem. Amazing circumstances. But the real power, the real message of Christmas is the relationship attached to it. As a matter of fact, for the next few weeks as a church, we are going to dive into this power of Christmas. And I think it's imperative for us to get our minds, to get our hearts, to get our lives around this power attached to Christmas. And if we will actually do that, I think we're going to find that Christmas is about much, much more than being good, maybe going to church on Christmas Eve, and certainly exchanging presents. But I think exchanging presents is a great place to begin the conversation because exchanging presents is really what Christmas is all about. When we talk about exchanging presents biblically, we're not talking about the gifts that get wrapped and go under the tree. Rather, we're talking about the presence. We're talking about the appearance and the intervention of God Almighty in human history. The fact that God became present with us, that he joined in the game with us tangibly, bodily, in bodily form. God incarnate. That's what Christmas presence is all about. It's the incarnation of Jesus. When you think about the incarnation, just know that it means putting on flesh. That, that's the incarnation. And I always kind of remember that by, you know, carne asada or some kind of a Mexican dish. When you remember carne, you remember carnation. You remember incarnation. That's God made human. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. The Word was with God, and the Word became flesh. The presence of God, the power of of that presence, not only at Christmas, but in every single minute of every single day. That's what's really going on. That's the hope of Christmas. That's the message of Christmas. And it's this idea of the presence of God, the incarnation of God in human form that we dive into this week as we explore the power of the presence of God. Because the incarnation... God in human form is the single greatest event in human history. All of human history is cleaved by that event. There's before Christ and there's after Christ in human history. But there's also the presence of the incarnation personally. Because every single life that has chosen to follow Christ is cleaved into a before and an after. And they could not be more different from one another. In the book of Matthew, the Bible puts a really fine point on this power of the presence of God. In Matthew chapter 1, Matthew is telling his story, and the gospel of Matthew was written really for a Jewish audience primarily, not exclusively, but primarily. That was who Matthew had in mind as he wrote his account of the life of Jesus inspired by the Holy Spirit. And in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew writes this, quoting the prophet Isaiah who had written 600 years before the events that he was writing about. 
He says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Quote, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Real quickly, I want you with passion and enthusiasm on this frozen tundra Sunday morning. Look at your neighbor next to you and tell him, Emmanuel. Very good. And just for the record, everybody in church today gets extra credit in heaven. Because I'm telling you, a lot of people decided to stay home, but not you. You are the few and the proud. So anytime you see somebody, you can just kind of like mock them a little bit. It'll just kind of go, <laughs> but anyway, I digress. The word Emmanuel is a critically important word describing the incarnation. The word Emmanuel means God with us. So from the moment of Jesus' birth, God was no longer God removed from us. God opposed to us. God away from. From this moment forward, God is now with us. He has become one of us. And for Matthew's audience especially, this was a radical concept. Because if you'll remember, during this time, Israel, God's chosen people, were living under Roman rule and law and oppression. And so for them, they had not heard from God through the prophets for more than 500 years. If you go to the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, it's about a 500-year window right there. And so for Matthew to say that now he is God with us was a radical concept to them. I would guess, I would guess for some people in this room today, 2,000 years later, the idea of God with us, the idea of God for us is also a radical concept. Maybe because of your past experience in, in, in a church setting, maybe because of the home that you grew up in and the idea of authority that you came up underneath, there, it blows your mind to think that God could actually be in favor of you. That's the message of Emmanuel. God with us. God is for us. He is in favor of us. That's one of the components of this message of Christmas. God with us. Now, how many of you remember the Charlie Brown Christmas? Let me see a show of hands if, if you have that. How many of you are playing the DVR that this year? Every hand in here should be going up right now, just for the record. But if you've ever seen a Charlie Brown Christmas, you, you're familiar with the Christmas story as it's recorded in Luke chapter 2. It's interesting, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, only Matthew and Luke go into a great detail about the birth of Jesus. Mark and John kind of pick up with the earthly ministry of Christ, but it's in Matthew and Luke that we get details about the birth of Christ. And it's in Luke chapter 2 that the Bible records for us the announcement of Christ's birth to the shepherds on those hills outside of Bethlehem. Now, you and I in, in 2013, with the benefit of the Charlie Brown Christmas and 2,000 years of church history, we hear Bethlehem and we automatically go to You know, cattle are lowing, the babe is sleeping, away in a manger. And so we kind of go, oh, Bethlehem. But you got to understand something. Bethlehem was 
podunk Israel. I mean, this was a one-horse town. It was a nothing little wide spot in the road. It might as well have been cut and shoot. That's all Bethlehem was. I had to explain that in the first service. I saw some people in our church who were from New York, and they're going, cut and shoot? Cut and shoot is an actual town in the state of Texas, for those of you who don't know. And you should know that, by the way. But anyway, the shepherds, they weren't only not in this little one-horse town, Bethlehem. They were out in the hills outside. I mean, these were hillbilly shepherds. And that is exactly where God chose to announce the incarnation, where God chose to proclaim the presence of Christmas. And as you can imagine, the shepherds were somewhat taken aback. Angels singing in the heavens above them and announcing the birth of God's Son does not happen every night. And just as an aside, I'm sure also somewhere in this room, somebody is thinking to themselves, I don't know about that whole angel thing. I, you know, I'm down with doing to others as you would have them do unto you. That's cool. But I mean, you start talking about angels singing in the sky, a baby born to a virgin girl. I, I don't know about that. And I understand where those questions come from. And, and that's cool. But if that's you, I want to just invite you for a second to suspend your disbelief and just remember the fact that we're talking about God. <laughs> we're talking about the creator of the universe, the one who created the natural order. So if he created it, doesn't it make sense? Couldn't it be a possibility that he could suspend the natural order and intervene supernaturally to accomplish whatever he wanted to? I just want to invite you to open your mind and your heart to that possibility if you're skeptical about this stuff. For the record, this is what we believe. We believe this happened historically, factually. But moving on, the shepherds were a little bit taken aback. You can imagine they were probably frightened. And so it's not surprising that the first words that the angels said to the shepherds were this. In Luke chapter 2, the Bible records them as this. The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. Tell your neighbor right now with passion and enthusiasm, I got some good news. Now. You don't have to preach a sermon on this right now, but wouldn't we all agree that good news is incredibly inspiring? It's uplifting. It has the ability to change your life and in some cases even to, to give life. Think about good news. I got the job. It's a girl. We won. Time to eat. I mean, good news is a powerful, powerful thing. And I think it's imperative for us to remember, especially if we've been around church for a long time, that the presence of Christmas, the incarnation, is good news. A lot of times we, we kind of like, well, you know, I, I go to church. And especially here in Austin, man, people look at you like you've got two heads sometimes. Well, you know, this may not be for you, but this is what I believe or whatever. I think as Christ followers, we ought to kind of step up a little and go, this is great news. This is good news. I want to I spread this news around. 
I had a friend of mine explain to me recently, he said this, he goes, you know, let's just say for the sake of conversation that you discovered the cure for cancer. And you had the answer to cancer. You would not just kind of go, hey, listen, you know, I know you're really sick right now. And this may not be for you, but I've figured out how to make you well and to keep you alive for another 30 years. You would be like, dude, chick, I've got something that you need. I've got something that'll help. This is good news. The word good news in the original Greek is the word gospel. That's what the word gospel means. That means good news. So we, we, next time somebody says, hey, it's time to eat, you just go, that's gospel. That, that right there is good news. But I think to really understand why it's so good, we have to understand the before and after. We have to be able to get our minds and our hearts around the fact that the good news of Jesus is not just about being a good person. The good news of Jesus, the Christian faith is not just about having a good life. And to understand this, I want to go to a passage of scripture in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 4. In Galatians 4, Paul explains this before and after, really, really powerfully. Look at what he says in in verse 4 of Galatians 4. He says, Now, when the right time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. He says, this was not just some historical happenstance. It it wasn't just that God kind of went, You know what? i got time today. I'm going to go ahead and let my son be born. This is as good a time as any. No, God had been orchestrating and moving the progress of human history all directed to this moment in time. This was what other versions of the Bible will call the fullness of time. This was the ripeness of time. This was the perfect moment in human history for Christ to incarnate, for the presence of God to become part of the human story. And he would be born of a woman, this woman who was subject to the law. Now, when the Bible talks about the law, it's referring to the Mosaic law of the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses, the Levitical code of the Old Testament, those laws that God gave to His chosen people, Israel, to show them, to explain how to live in relationship with Him, how to live in relationship before the ultimate expression of His love, Christ, was a physical reality in this world. And the purpose of the law, Paul says elsewhere, is in Romans, the purpose of the law was to point out the fact that we can't do this on our own. The reason God gave us the law was to show us that we need God. You can look at the Ten Commandments and go, well, thou shalt not murder. Okay, haven't done that this week. You could look at thou shalt not, haven't stolen anything in a long, long time. Thou shalt not commit adultery, okay? Cool, haven't committed adultery. But then Jesus comes along and says, listen, it's not only about your behavior. It's also about what's going on in your heart. As a matter of fact, you know that thing about committing adultery? If you've looked at somebody else with lust in your heart, then that's the same thing as committing adultery. Ruh-roh. All of a sudden, this ultimately is a heart issue. This is really and truly about what's going on inside of me and not just what the rest of the world can see, although that's a factor. And Paul says, this was 
the environment that Jesus was born into. But then he moves on in verse 5. Paul says, God sent him, Jesus, to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now, after, you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. So before Christ, slave, slave to the law, slave to sin. In Christ, after the incarnation in history and personally, a child, an heir with Christ. I love that passage there in Galatians chapter 4 where Paul says, God has given us the spirit of his son, prompting us to call out Abba, Father. Now, Abba is not just a great Swedish band. Abba is really a profound insight into the character and nature of this relationship with God. When we call out Abba, Father, it's not as a very formal setting like at a long dining room table, Father, please pass the salt. But it's more like Dad or, or for a small child, Daddy. It's that term of intimacy to call out to Him. When I was about five or six years old, our family lived on a street. And at the end of the street, there was a little opening in the fence that led you to the YMCA in our neighborhood. And we were members of the YMCA and we would swim there all during the summer and on weekends. And I remember when I was, like I said, five or six years old, it was the first time I ever stepped onto the diving board at the YMCA swimming pool. And I remember this wasn't like you know, the diving boards of today that insurance companies dictate, they're like here and you go, boom, and boom. No, no, no. This one was like way off the water. It wasn't a high dive. It was probably one of those three-meter boards. had that real spring in it, the way God wanted diving boards to be done. And I remember at this age, I'd never gone off the board before. But on this particular afternoon, I was swimming at the YMCA pool with my dad. And I said, Dad, I want to go off the diving board. He said, all right, son. And Dad kind of you know, swam out to the middle of the deep end and he was standing there underneath the diving board treading water and I'm back on the diving board and I'm looking at that thing and, and it's kind of like, you know, just wobbling in the breeze. I thought, man, to myself in my little five-year-old voice, I said, I'm going to hammer this thing. And so I ran to the end of it and I went, boom! And when I did, my feet went out from underneath me. Apparently it was wet. Who knew? And when my feet went out from underneath me, my back landed on the diving board. I went boom, boom into the water. I know. Thank you. It was sad, really. And it was the first time in my life that I remember having the breath knocked out of me. And so I hit the water and I was kind of like in shock and I, and, and I couldn't get a breath. I couldn't, I couldn't breathe. And, and I came up out of the water and, the, and I didn't know where anything was. I was looking around and I just went. And my dad swam over to me and he you know, grabbed me under the arms and red crossed me to the side of the pool and got me out. He leaned over me and he goes, Mac, you're going to live. 
got the wind knocked out of you. He said, no kidding. <laughs> but that moment when I come, came up out of the water and I cried out for my dad, that's the picture that the Bible paints of a relationship with God, of Emmanuel. It's no longer God removed from us, God distance, Father. But it's a term of intimacy. It's that, it's that perfect, loving, good Father that we call out to, that we cling to, that we love, who loves us back perfectly. That's what is going on in this Christmas presence. You see, before Christ, we're a slave to the law. We're, we're a hired hand to the law, to sin. After Christ, we're a child. We're, we're a child of the Most High King, embraced an heir with Christ, co-heirs, with Him in all that the Father has to offer. This is good news. This is powerful. Real quickly, go back with me to that Caribbean island that Julie and I were on. Because it's, it's there on that island that I learned so much about the power of good news. As a matter of fact, I can connect with those shepherds there on the hills outside of Bethlehem and sitting with Julie under that Caribbean sun, I, I, I get good news. And, and the shepherds, like Julie and me, went through a very recognizable progression of what to do with good news. Because it's one thing if we gather in here on a, on a cold Sunday morning and we walk out of here knowing that we're better than anybody else who chose not to go to church. Not really, but I'll just throw that out there. So, some of you will be like, we are not better than... Yes, it's called a joke. <laughs> you wouldn't believe. But anyway, I... I But it's one thing to acknowledge the reality of good news and, and the power of good news. But it's entirely another to do something with it. And good news is never designed to be sat on. Good news isn't about being a good guy or a good girl, going to church, exchanging presents. Good news is something we must do something with. Like the shepherds, the first thing you do is you share it. You share it. Now, when I say share good news, I don't mean that you go tell everybody immediately and you just start talking to people and go, hey, are you going to heaven or hell? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what the shepherds did. Look at it in Luke chapter 2, verse 15. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Tell your neighbor right now with passion and enthusiasm, let's go. This good news is to be shared amongst us. We are to 
enjoy this together. Yes, it's individual. Yes, it's personalized. Yes, God meets us individually right where we are. And it's to be shared. When we gather together, we share it. When we scatter, we share it. This is what binds us together. We share this in community, in relationship with each other. That's why it's important that we gather, that we're reminded on a regular basis, hey, we're bound together by the most important thing in the world, the good news of Jesus. So we share that together. Julie and I, man, when we were sitting in that Caribbean sun, I'm telling you, it, it was great. The food would have been unbelievable and the scenery staggering if I'd have been there by myself. But how much richer was the experience? How much more powerful, how much more fun was it sharing that with my bride? To be able to go, can you believe this? Why? I can't believe we got invited. But we shared that together. About halfway through the week, I went, wait, we have kids. We have to go home. I remember now. But we shared that together. The second thing that the shepherds did is celebrate it. They celebrated it. Another word for celebrating is to experience it personally. It's one thing to share it amongst themselves. But they went and experienced it personally. What does the Bible say? They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. Now, I want you to put yourself in their first century sandals for just a second. You've been out on the hills just minding your own business, tending your flocks by night. And all of a sudden, what? The angels show up. And angels proclaim the birth of God incarnate. Good news to all the people. And you're like, whoa. But can you imagine what it was like for them when they walked into that borrowed stable in Bethlehem and looked down and saw a baby exactly as the angel had described he would be there? Everything that the angel said happened. And so when you look in at this baby, you know, everybody walks in and they see a baby and they go, oh. Or they think, ooh. <laughs> Rough delivery. Not your kids, I know, but I mean, you've heard stories. But on this night, or day, we don't really know, at this moment, they looked in and they said, there's a baby lying in a feed trough. Wrapped in swaddling clothes, just cloths. But the angel said, this baby is Christ the Lord. This is the Messiah, the promised one, the son of the living God. Whoa. They experienced it firsthand. They didn't rely on rumor. They didn't just go along with what was being said around them. They went and found out for themselves. And they celebrated it. Then, 
after they had shared it amongst themselves, after they had celebrated it, then, yeah, you tell it. You tell it. When Julie and I were sitting on that beach in the Caribbean, we were making a list of people we wanted to tell about that. Man, Emily and Joseph, our kids, they need to experience this. Our, our close personal friends, these folks that we have done life with for years and years and years, we want to bring them back to this. This is too good just to keep to ourselves. And that's exactly what the shepherds did. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. Tell it. Now, with passion and enthusiasm and God-honoring authority, I want you to look at your neighbor and tell him, Tell it! Good news deserves to be told. That's why around here we practice a little thing called tag team evangelism. You know the word evangelism simply means telling good news? Tag team evangelism means this. If you invite a friend of yours, a neighbor, a family member, a coworker, somebody who works out in the gym with you and doesn't wipe down the bench after they're through, you tell them and invite them to a service here at Lake Hills Church, they will encounter Jesus. I promise you, we will, we will tell them about Jesus. And because you invited them, you had a hand in that encounter. That's the beginning of learning how to tell it. <clears throat> Good news deserves to be told. I got the job. It's a girl. We won. It's time to eat. Christ the Lord is born. Is real. This is the power of Emmanuel, of God with us. When we do it. Knowing it is cool, that's fine and important. But doing it is where it truly becomes Christmas presence in our lives and through our lives. Now, I'm sure this morning in this room, there are some people here who have not yet stepped into that relationship with Christ. You, you're kicking the tires and kind of checking things out. And I hope you understand how honored we are that you're here today. How welcome you are in this place. But I wonder this morning if God hasn't used this conversation, this sermon, about the power of good news to maybe begin stirring something in your heart. To maybe begin to kind of tweak something just in your spirit. That says... I want to know that. I want to experience that good news. If that's you, 
then in just a minute, we want to give you the opportunity to step into that good news, to live in that relationship with God day in and day out. And it might surprise you to know that it doesn't require an elaborate ceremony. You don't have to pass a test with a 70 or above. All it requires is everything. Just everything in your life surrendered to the only one who cannot take advantage of your surrender. You see, we, we kind of resist surrender because we've been burned before. We've had people hurt us, let us down, disappoint us. Relationships go bad and south. And so a lot of times we're fearful or reticent to trust God. Until you remember that God's good. That God is love. And that His commands are not burdensome. But they are a gift and expression of His love. Which was perfectly expressed in the Christmas presence of Jesus. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a minute. And in this minute, I want to ask you to truly recognize the fact that we're on holy ground right now. Because God's moving in people's lives. If you're here today and you want to begin that relationship with Christ, then I want to invite you to pray right where you're sitting, silently, talking to God. Just say to Him silently, just say, God, I need You. And I give You my life. I surrender all to You. Jesus, I confess my sin and I claim your forgiveness. To live in relationship with you starting right now. Forever. I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. bowed and your eyes closed for a moment because it's a sacred moment and if that was your prayer this morning and you meant it for the first time in your life I want to ask you if you will just raise your hand just quietly but unmistakably if you will just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head for a moment that hand up because we want to help you mark this moment. Because this is the moment for which you were created. This is your before and after moment. And so as a church, we want to help with what's next. 
we want to just pass something down the road to you. There's a couple of things in that box that's just for you. One's a Bible. One is some information for you to read later on at your convenience. But there's a card in there that we want to ask you to fill out right now. Just take the pen that you got when you came in and fill it out so that we can help. So that we can be that family of faith for you. And after you've filled out that card, if you will, just drop it in the offering bag when it comes past you. Because as I said, we want to be a family to you. We want to help you grow in this new relationship. We want to be encouraged by you. And so as a church family, we celebrate you. We love you. We like to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home.